Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from tolovehonorandvacuum.com where we like to talk about healthy evidence-based biblical advice for your marriage and sex life. And it is the last Thursday of the month, which means we're doing a special Start Your Engines podcast for guys. So I've got my husband here with me. Hey, everybody. It's Keith. And we have a men's book coming yeah. out on March 15th. Yes. The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. That's right. Which is super exciting. And before we get into what we want to talk about with that today, just a special note that it helps us so much when you rate this podcast, review it, and of course, subscribe to it so that you don't miss an episode. So whatever you're doing right now, if you are not currently subscribed, go and subscribe on your podcast app on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, wherever you listen. Um, Subscribe to Bear Marriage and remember to to rate it because it helps other people see it. And also, if you want to be part of what we are doing, We do have a Patreon that Rebecca and Joanna run, Um, my daughter and my co-authors for The Great Sex Rescue. That's to help um, monetize the things that we can't monetize. So it doesn't doesn't help this podcast. It helps us as we try to get our research into peer-reviewed journals. Mm -hmm. And speaking of research, that is a perfect transition (laughs) for what we want to talk about. Because we did a men's survey for The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. Yeah, well, and that's the thing I was going to say is we we do a lot of research, or you do a lot of research, and usually people are in universities and mm-hmm. getting paid for that so yeah patrons are real help and we have some peer-reviewed papers we're working on and we might need to get some people to help with some lit reviews so it really it really mm-hmm. helps us in areas where we just can't can't monetize it but we want to yeah. get this information out there mm-hmm. so we surveyed 3,000 guys yeah and a lot of people say how come you didn't survey 20,000 guys <laughs> um they're re- okay to be quite honest yeah most surveys are only a thousand and even if we'd only surveyed a thousand women our, yeah. our our findings yeah. would have been okay, but we wanted to survey twenty thousand so that nobody so that it sounded super impressive and people couldn't criticize us. But we actually didn't need twenty thousand, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and three thousand is still three times as many as most yeah. surveys. But also, um, well, and your blog is like. I mean, it's called. It was called to love, honor, and vacuum. Like originally, yeah. it was a mommy blog, right? So that's yeah. where the majority of your base comes from, too. So. Right, and I also we also in the women's survey we wanted to dig down deep on um, vaginismus, mm-hmm. which doesn't affect everybody. So we needed a big enough uh, survey size that we yep. could slice and dice the numbers more. Yep. But for men, we really were looking at at, at some more basic things and mm-hmm. uh, found some really interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and three thousand men is a really good number. I mean, you mm-hmm. get to get three thousand men to take a survey is pretty challenging. Like that's. Mm-hmm. That's not typical, right? And it so. was a huge survey too. Like yeah. it took it took a good twenty minutes. Yeah, and we asked a lot of questions, which were very, you know, uh, we've said this said this on other podcasts before. They were very, you know, invasive or almost, you know, we were worried about some of the questions because we were talking about things that were preached in every man's battle, which to me are quite offensive. But yes, because every man's battle makes it sound like it's normal to masturbate in parking lots, and so we actually wanted to do that as an option on one of our questions, like how often have you done this? And I think out of all three thousand, nobody said yes. Yeah. So like they they're treating it like it's normal and it's not normal. Yeah. But anyway, for the last couple of weeks on the podcast, we have been talking about just some basic sex ed stuff that mm-hmm. we want people to know. We want people to know yeah. about the sexual response cycle. We want people to know about different contraception methods. Just some of this basic stuff that we don't talk about enough. Yep. And in both The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, we do teach a lot of this basic stuff which can get you started well and going well. But mm-hmm. today I want to change tactics a bit and I want to talk instead about what to do if you're married and you haven't done things super well mm-hmm. as a husband and you've kind of messed things up and how do you yeah. get things back on track? And to explain yeah. what we mean, we have a video that we created about that. We've been writing and speaking about sex and marriage for over a decade. And you know what? 
it's a huge minefield for so many couples. Sex is supposed to be awesome, but too often it becomes something that holds your marriage back. We think we know why. Think of great sex like a luscious green valley at the bottom of a snow-capped mountain. Over on the other side of the mountain is a desert with thorny cacti dotting the landscape. Great sex awaits you in the luscious green valley. The cactus-filled desert? Not so much. Your sex life is like a snowball that starts rolling down that mountain. As it rolls, it grows larger and gains momentum, racing toward the bottom. That momentum represents the habits you develop. They solidify the direction you're going, and they tend to build on each other, reinforcing what you're already doing. But what happens if the snowball starts careening down the wrong side of the mountain? You have to spring into action to stop it before it gains momentum. You'll have to run ahead of that snowball, halt its descent, then push it up to the top of the mountain before you can send it back down the right side. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> Wouldn't it be easier if the snowball started out in the right direction in the first place? Absolutely. But that may not be as straightforward as it sounds. Imagine that from the top of the mountain, you can't see the bottom. It's not automatically apparent which route leads to the green valley and which one leads to the desert. All you can see are a bunch of signs. Those signs have arrows, but many are contradictory. You aren't sure which way to go. That's been the situation for far too many couples. We've been given messages from our wider culture and even from our churches about sex that may sound true, but that actually send us tumbling down the wrong side of the mountain. Ideas like having sex a lot will stop him from being tempted by porn. That's actually not true and that drastically lowers her orgasm rate. Or her body belongs to him and she has no right to withhold it or to say no. When you believe that, her libido plummets and her rate of sexual pain skyrockets. Want to fix your sex life? Just have more sex. But you know what? Sex is more than intercourse. Women just don't need sex the way men do. Has anyone ever heard of self-fulfilling prophecies? We don't want the snowball going down the wrong side of the mountain. We want to help you get to the right side. That's what we do in the Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. Start well. Avoid the heartaches and pain. Experience great sex the way you're supposed to. So what do you do when the snowball is going down the wrong side of the <laughs> And I have some I have some reader emails I want to share with you. Okay. And you haven't this this is gonna be like your fresh expression. Oh, yeah. This is I haven't run these by you yet. I've been working really hard and so this is just like we're 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 taping now and there's been no run in, there's been no prep time for me. Mm -hmm. Like it's just what's happening here. So this is these are readers' letters? Yes. Okay. So here's one that a man sent in. Okay. And this was after we were talking about giving sexual favors postpartum. So how okay, we were so, saying... So how in so many Christian books, they preach women, you need to realize that when you've just had a baby, it's really hard for your husband to not have sex. That's right. Okay. Okay. So that's the context of when he wrote this letter. Okay. okay? And he says, you say that both people matter, but that is not what you teach. You teach that women's needs outrank men's needs at the honeymoon, her period, Frequency, that it must be mutual. 
<laughs> after childbirth, menopause, or pretty much any time there is an issue, which when you add this up can easily get to 50% of the first 15 to 20 years of marriage. Now, if you're 50-50 and the other 50% of the marriage, it ends up being more like 75-25 if things are well and there are no issues. Issues can tilt it even more. Why do you think so many are telling you that it's misandry? Mm -hmm. Why should everyone listen to you when you say it is misogynistic, but you don't have to listen to them? Your teaching almost at every turn considers the intentions, motives, and spiritual life of women in a positive light and men in a negative light. I'm a happily married man. My wife thinks you are every bit as evil as I do. This isn't wow. personal. I just believe you are ruining tens of thousands of Christian marriages in just the first generation and a multiple in the second generation. Wow. Yeah. So I, this is nothing personal. I just think you're evil. Yes. Yeah, interesting. Okay. But okay. So, I mean, the issue here is, okay, so first of all, he's like, he's really, really upset that you want this to be mutual 50% of the time. Mm -hmm. Because then when the guy gets what he wants, he doesn't really get what he wants. And so most of the time it's actually for the women. Mm-hmm. If it's mutual 100% of the time, isn't that fair? Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Like, yes. that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I think this is the issue. A lot of people are taught that if you make something mutual so that mm -hmm. it's good for both the husband and the wife, you are somehow depriving the husband. And mm -hmm. this is a mentality that is ripe in the Christian church because the Christian church is full of men who believe that the story is them. Yeah. We're taught this. You are the story. Your wife is your helper. And helper means sidekick, second rank the person who you get to do the stuff you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. That's what we're taught in the Christian church. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that people mean that. I don't think they want to believe that. And I think most people who come from more traditional roles don't actually practice that. But when we start getting into these dis these debates, that's what they talk about. Yes. So it's like, and this is if how... we make it mutual, he's losing out. Like her freedom and her pleasure and her getting more out of sex somehow deprives him. Yes. And I just don't get that. Yeah. And this is how the snowball starts going down the wrong side of the hill. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you don't realize you're a pro It's like, it's like, uh, I love that, you know, the movie at uh, the Emperor's New Groove, mm -hmm. right? The Emperor's New Groove is about a really selfish, self-centered Aztec em emperor yep. played by David Spade. And the movie starts with him going, I was the nicest guy in the world and they ruined my life for no reason. Yes. And this is what these guys sound like to me. I'm a nice guy in the world and I rule my house with an iron fist, but I'm really nice about it. Like, yeah. what the heck? Like, <laughs> you know, and they just don't understand how privileged and entitled they are. Yeah, because here he is. He doesn't realize how CPT is in misogyny because let me just read the list of, mm -hmm. he's saying in all of these times, you're saying that her needs should take preference. Okay. okay. But, so but let's you're read saying... some of, let's read some of the, the times okay. where he's upset that I am saying her needs should take preference. Okay. Honeymoon. Okay. So here's the deal. Okay. My needs took preference on the honeymoon and it ruined things. If you are having sex for the first time on the honeymoon, it is a much more difficult situation. It's much more likely to go wrong for the woman than for the man. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so the person who's most likely going to have the most difficulty in the situation is the person who should be the most prioritized in that mm -hmm. situation. That is called being a giving, caring, Christ-like person. Well, actually, it's, it's, I would even say it's just called being a decent person. Yeah, I suppose that's like, true. Like, but like, we're it's a pretty low bar. <laughs> yeah, we're like, this is the thing. It's going to work fine for you guys. It's mm -hmm. going to. I mean, mm -hmm. no, I shouldn't say that. There are sometimes there are issues that guys have. But mm -hmm. for the most part, if it's going to be bad, it's going to be bad for her. Why do we have to teach people that it is not a sin to prioritize your wife's experience on the honeymoon. Why are people railing against that thought? The yeah. only reason is because they've been taught sex is not for women. Sex is for men. 
and you deserve it and it's your due. And if you wait till you get married, then she owes it to you. So she better give it to you. And if yeah. she doesn't, she's a hateful, feminist, yeah. misandric, yeah. horrible person. And that's ridiculous. Okay. And then, and then the other one is her period. Yeah. Okay. Why should, why should her desire or why should she get to set the frequency on her period? Yeah. And yeah. again, she is the one in pain. She is bleeding <laughs> from her uterus, yeah. you know, through her vagina yeah. <laughs> and she's crampy and sex is supposed to be something which is mutual. And if she's not feeling well, that should matter. Like, guys, if you just got kicked in the nuts repeatedly by a cow, okay, <laughs> would you want her to say, now you owe me something? <laughs> I expect you to perform instantly. Right. Like, yeah. we, we do need to. So, yes, because she, the reason that her prior, that she is prioritized during her period is because she is the one going through the difficult thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, after childbirth. <laughs> I mean, do I, I even need to say anything? I, I, I love the, Reynolds, the Ryan Reynolds you know, video that I saw recently, he mm-hmm. was talking about that. And he's like, guys, she's done enough. Change a diaper. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like I, I love put, uh, She just pushed a human, human being. Out of her body. Out of her yeah. hoo-ha. Like, let's just, <laughs> let's just not do that. Um, menopause. You know, menopause is really difficult yeah. for a lot of women. Like yeah. the hot flashes, they are not fun. Okay. Um, the mood swings, the fact that you're no longer lubricated, you take a lot more time to warm up. You need a lot more foreplay for a lot of women. Their libidos change and often women need to get reacquainted with their own bodies. Yes, she needs to be prioritized during yeah. that time. Well, and here's the deal. Okay. So in all these cases we're talking about, if she's having difficulty, sex doesn't work for either of you, really. Because what guy wants a woman who's pushing through horrible situations out of duty? Mm-hmm. Who wants that, right? But but why do we have to make it about how it actually is beneficial for you guys to actually care about your wife during these difficult times? Like, that's, that's mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I think most men are above that. I think most men recognize that, yeah, there's going to be times when it's not going to work for her. We need to be... We need to give her the time and the care she needs. Yeah. I think most men understand that. Yeah, unfortunately, but though, if you're a person who's steeped in the idea that this is something that is due to you, yeah. like you are, you are owed this, then yeah, it, it seems like yeah. it seems like oppression because you're now being told I don't get to have sex whenever I want, and I, and I was always taught that I would get yeah, sex whenever and I, I want. Get, I want to get to that because number six is pretty okay. much any time there is an issue. So so he's saying any time there's an issue, her needs mm-hmm. to take precedence, and and. This is this is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. He is equating two different kinds of needs. And this is the basic problem. Okay? So he is equating his need, quote unquote, for ejaculation mm-hmm. with her need for comfort and not feeling unwell. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, those are not equivalent needs. Mm-hmm. But even beyond that... His need is not for ejaculation. His need is for biblical sex, which is mutual, intimate, pleasurable for both. Mm. She has that need as well. But those needs, something which is mutual, intimate, pleasurable for both, that can't be met when she isn't feeling well. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I and so it's go. not that, that, that we're prioritizing her needs. It's that some things, <laughs> like those needs are not equal. They're just not. And, and, and. The way that he is defining his needs is actually the problem mm-hmm. because he is seeing his need for sex as completely divorced for what she's going through. Mm-hmm. Like my need for ejaculation, but that's not sex because sex is an experience that you have together. So if she's not able to experience it, sex is off the table anyway. That's not me saying that her needs are more important. The problem is he doesn't even know what sex is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not not in a 
holistic, yes, biblical method, like knowing a person, and that is just having and that is when the snowball goes down the wrong yeah. side of the mountain. And what I have heard over and over again. I don't think this is true for this guy. I think this guy actually probably is extremely selfish in all areas of his life because he mm-hmm. sounds quite mm-hmm. terrible. But I have heard from a lot of women whose husbands were actually really great in every other area of their marriage. It mm-hmm. was just in sex yeah. that they were completely selfish oh, and didn't see it. Yeah, well, that was totally me. I mean, that's that's exactly how I was. We've talked about that many times in the blog. I was steeped in that culture of you need to wait till you get married, but once you wait till you get married, it's it's your due. You're going to get this. It's going to happen all the time. And that's what a Christian mm-hmm. marriage is like. Uh, and so then when we struggled early on and you had problems, you know, I had sympathy for you, but I was also upset that you didn't have sympathy for me because I'm not getting what I deserve. Mm-hmm. And that was so hurtful to you. Yeah. And, and I just didn't get why you didn't understand how much you were depriving me. Right. Uh, and that was the mentality I had. I'm ashamed to say it now. But that is what, the way I was taught. And that's what I, I sopped it up. And I believed it all. And it, was, it caused tremendous pain. Yeah. And the thing is this. is He's saying we're destroying, or you're destroying. I don't think yeah. he blames me. But you're destroying <laughs> this next generation and the generation after. Because you're saying that we need to prioritize the experience of the person who has more difficulty with this activity. Mm-hmm. So you're destroying marriages. What about the destruction that has been demonstrated from this kind of entitlement mindset? There's all kinds of good evidence that this entitlement mindset, that sex is something that I'm owed, that my wife better give it to me, I have a need, all this kind of stuff. This has been shown to be harmful again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like you're combating that with a more balanced view of, hey, if this is something that's difficult for my wife. I want to make it as good as possible for her so that we can both have an amazing experience. How, like it's not an either or. It's not like if she wins, he loses. Mm-hmm. And if that's your mentality... And if you're used to being the man who always wins, then yeah, that's going to look like tyranny. But for a normal, decent guy, it looks like, yeah, she's bleeding out of her genitals. Maybe I should back off for a couple of days. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, yeah you know? exactly. Okay, here's, an, here's another example. This was a comment that was left on the blog a little while ago. Okay. I'll read the whole thing because I think it's interesting. She said, there was a pastor that left a one-star review for your book, The Great Sex Rescue on Amazon. And part of his comment said that you are telling women that they can ignore their husband's needs. Again, what we were just talking about. That wives can focus on their own needs instead. I read that and it didn't sit well with me. Like if the wife just had a baby, the husband should be focusing on her need to recover. Isn't him focusing on his sexual release, not serving her? It always seems so one-sided. Like the wife has to focus on her husband's needs regardless of how she feels, but he doesn't have to focus on her needs and that's okay. After reading The Great Sex Rescue, I started thinking about the reasons why my view of sex and feelings have changed over the years, why this gift from God started to feel like a burden. I believe that the pressure during the postpartum period is to blame for the start of my sexual demise. After our first two children, my libido really didn't come back until after I stopped nursing. So there was a great sense of duty or obligation because I wasn't feeling sexual, which makes sense to me biologically, because if a woman is nursing, would the body want to get pregnant again so soon and support or feed another baby? And that's actually a hormonal thing that happens. Like, like women's hormones actually do go down when they're nursing because the body is trying to not get pregnant. (laughs) That's why, uh, that's why when you nurse, you, you often delay ovulation again. So your period is often delayed. 
So, of course, my husband was antsy to get his sexy wife back to normal. (laughs) So while I was pregnant with our third child, I was convinced by my husband to not nurse the baby so that I would get my libido back sooner. I unfortunately agreed, and we fed our baby formula from the moment he was born. Do you think it was a coincidence that my libido never returned after our third child? I think I held so much resentment for this sexual selfishness that my sex drive tanked and didn't return. There is a light at the end of this tunnel. After reading your book, Sheila, I was able to express all my hurt to my husband. He sat there and absorbed everything I said and was absolutely devastated about his behavior. He was the one that realized how he acted was completely wrong. He admitted how much of a monster he was. He wept over his selfishness for literally stealing food from his son for his pleasure. My husband sincerely asked for my forgiveness and expressed that he will do anything and everything to prove to me that he can change. Without your book, I don't know if I would have realized why I wasn't feeling sexual anymore. And without your book, I don't know what path our marriage would have taken. Now we are healing. It's only been a couple of months since the book, but we feel like our marriage is getting stronger every day. And we are healing our sex life because of you. Yeah. And this is the destruction that you're bringing to marriages. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is the person who finally realized what was going on. Yeah. Right? How can you call it misandry? to say, guys, we want you to be Christ-like. How can you call that misandry? Yeah. I mean, that's all we're doing. Like calling guys to be Christ-like, to put your own mm-hmm. needs on hold once in a while when she is physically in pain, when she's pushed a human out of her body, you know, yeah. when she wants to, to give nourishment to your child out of her own body, give her a break. Like that's yeah. all we're asking. Yeah. But you're called a misandrist. Yet... A woman being told that she ought to give a handjob or a blowjob to her husband when she's postpartum is not misogynist in their mindset. Mm -hmm. I don't get that. I don't understand that. Yeah. And this is where the snowball goes too far down the one side of the hill. Because the thing thing is, I want to say about that, because the thing is this, is that the reason the snowball goes down the hill is gravity. Now, gravity is a force of nature that we don't think about very much because we just take it for granted. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, we all... Like gravity is just something that's assumed. And so these people assume male priority is the world we live in. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize that there's a whole other way of looking at this, which is actually true mutuality. And true mutuality is better for both the husband and the wife because both of us can then be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Yeah. Really honestly caring about each other. Really honest looking at each other. We don't automatically think when I have to give up something for myself, that I lose something for you. Instead, we teach women in the church to give up their autonomy, to endure pain, to put everything that they feel is right about the sexual act on the back burner and do whatever he tells you. Mm-hmm. And we don't think that's a problem. But then we ask men to give their wives a break during their period, and we're misandrists. Yeah. I just cannot fathom it. I yeah. just don't understand. Yeah, and again, it comes from a misunderstanding of what sex is, mm-hmm. okay? one-sided intercourse is not biblical sex one-sided sexual favors is not biblical sex i'm not saying there aren't there isn't a room for a quickie or something like oh, that yeah. okay for sure that Absolutely. can be fun but if that's what characterizes your sex life that it's about one person taking from another mm-hmm. then that is a you're sign that you're missing out on what sex is supposed to be and that the snowball is gaining momentum and going down the wrong side of the hill and notice how she said like we actually started out good 
Like we were going in a good direction, but it was only when he started kind of like pushing the snowball back up the hill and sending it down the wrong direction that things got really bad because he started to make her feel badly for what her body was going through. And then he created a problem that wasn't already there. Mm-hmm. You know, in the Good Guys Guide to Great Sex, that's a lot of what we're doing is they're saying, look, if you've created this problem without meaning to, like this guy never yeah. meant to do that. Yeah. And when you've grown up in a church, which teaches you that guys need sex, like they need it. They need it like they mm. need water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Then you can start believing that as a guy. And then you don't realize you're being selfish because your need for sex is probably just as great as her need for recovery from childbirth Mm -hmm. right because that's how we've framed men's need for sex and it's simply not accurate or true Mm -hmm. and it hurts people and so in the good guys guide to great sex yes we start we talk about how to start right but we also talk about how to push that snowball back up the hill and get it going down the right direction um i want to read one more thing Here's a note I got from a woman, and I get a lot of notes like this one. So listen to this. I married a man who didn't grow up in the church, and sometimes I'll mention these books and your post to him, and he's just flabbergasted. He didn't grow up being trained to believe that it was a woman's job to keep him from porn or that he's owed sex from anyone. Not once has he ever made me feel bad about not being in the mood. He takes care of me and lets me know that my needs are not secondary to his. I still cry when he tells me that sometimes because I did grow up hearing those things. Mm -hmm. I was told that if my sex wasn't good enough or frequent enough that he might leave, but that thought has never occurred to him. Mm -hmm. So there is a different way to think about this, guys, you know? So if you're in that situation where you're thinking, maybe I have an entitlement mindset, but I'm afraid to give this up because if I don't Mm -hmm. push her this way, I'm never going to have sex. Yeah. Then you need to realize that your snowball is really careening down a bad side of the mountain. Yeah. Um, and you need to have some really hard conversations because there are men who have a better mentality uh, that sex doesn't have to be coercive. Sex doesn't have to be something that she feels duty and she feels obligated to do. There is a better way. And even people outside the church are finding it. Sometimes even it looks like more easily than sometimes people inside mm-hmm. the church. Because outside I, the church, they're not yeah, taught that they're owed cause, sex. Because I grew up, I, I didn't become an evangelical Christian until I was 18. And so I didn't naturally have this kind of view of sex that I did eventually develop over those years from my 18th birthday till when we got married. So I know there's an, a, a better way out there. When I finally realized that, I was like the guy in that second story about how he realized after what he'd done to his wife. He realized he'd been selfish. But I, like that man, during the time I was being selfish, didn't realize I was being selfish because having been taught this is something you need and she owes it to you I just thought that was the way it was that is the reality of the world Mm -hmm. and the idea that there's another way of looking at it was foreign to me what I don't get is the people who say I see the other side and I don't want that I reject that I instead want to choose a man centered she needs to give him what he needs regardless of what she needs kind of mentality that is not 50 50 if half the time you get to railroad her into what you want and half the time you work on th- something that kind of maybe partially works for her, that's not 50-50 either. It's exactly the opposite. Yeah. Okay, one more question okay. before we move on to some new research and right. talk about another way that this snowball plays itself okay. out. So this is, again, about the attitude towards sex. Mm-hmm. So here's a man and he's writing, I'm at a total loss what to do. My wife refuses to have sex with me and the constant rejection from her is beginning to take a toll. In the last three years, we've had sex three times, and I think it was pity sex. But having said all that, it is my fault. For about nine years, I was involved in multiple affairs. 
The affairs were discovered by my wife four years ago, and we've spent that time seeking marriage counselors. My wife has depression, and I feel that our sex life started to decline after the birth of our second child, which is also when the affair started to take place. Mm -hmm. I feel that my wife has this aversion to wanting to talk about our sex life. I get that she is still hurting from the affairs. She says she forgives me in my inner head, but she just can't forgive me in her heart. I know that I'm far from perfect, and I've asked for forgiveness from my wife and from God. And then he says this. He says some more stuff, but then at the very end, this is what he says. I try to be a good husband and serve her as best that I can. Without sounding selfish, I just wish my wife would serve me sexually. Mm -hmm. I know sex isn't the end all and be all, but I just miss the physical connection. Okay. A couple of things I want to mm -hmm. say on this one. If you've had an affair, you need to give your spouse time to get over that. Mm -hmm. And honestly, they may not. They may not. That's a huge betrayal. He had multiple affairs that started after the birth of his second child. Mm -hmm. Like... <laughs> You know what? You don't get to ask for anything. Like that's that's huge. And that is a, an absolutely huge betrayal to get over. And I'm glad they're seeking marriage counseling, but you can't rush something like that. You need to rebuild trust. And that takes a lot of time. All right. Mm -hmm. And to me, he has not done the work of rebuilding trust simply because of that last bit. He says, is it, I just want her to serve me sexually. Mm -hmm. If you want your wife to serve you sexually, you don't know what sex is. And that is probably one of the reasons why she doesn't want to have sex. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because sex is not about your wife serving you sexually. Sex is about the two of you connecting. Mm -hmm. And how is she supposed to connect with you when you have had multiple affairs and now you're pressuring her to forgive you, but you're telling her, I still want you to serve me. <laughs> like, what about serving her sexually? Like mm -hmm. what? And, and she may not be ready for that, but I'm just saying even the whole way that you're looking at sex shows that you don't get the problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with that. Well, and the thing I, I think is amazing is we talk about how sex, you are not supposed to have sex outside of marriage. Like this is a big thing in the church. Mm -hmm. We expect teenagers with their raging hormones to control themselves. Yeah. We expect people who do not have a spouse to control themselves. Like we expect this out of everyone. The only people we don't expect to control their sexual desires are Christian husbands. Mm -hmm. Like, are we really like, and the problem is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you are being told constantly and you internally are telling yourself constantly, I can't live without sex. I need this desperately then, yeah, that's going to be something you feel really, really desperate about. Uh, you know, early on in our marriage, that's, that was my mindset. I was like, this is something I can't live without. This is something I can't live without. This is something I can't live without. And it wasn't until uh, I got to the point where I said, you know what, if, if this doesn't happen, I still need to love my wife. And I need to come to some way of realizing how I'm going to do that. Uh, because that's God's command to me. And then I had to give up this entitlement mindset that I'm entitled to this. And that's when things finally started to get yeah. better for us. Yeah. And giving up that, that sense of this is something that I want her to give to me. We got to get rid of that, guys. We got to get rid of it. It's, this is something that's supposed to be for both of us. And if we want to have it be for both of us, but still just kind of have that little part of my heart that it's, but it's part, really kind of for me. You know, that's, that's not going to be 
successful. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to move on. And I want to talk about something big that we that we looked into at the end of the Good Guys Guide to Great Sex. And we did this at the end of the Good Girls Guide to Great Sex too. We just we just approached it in two different ways. So this is our new research segment of the week. Okay. okay. And I want to talk about frequency. Okay. <laughs> we talk about frequency a lot, but this is this is one of the big areas where couples most have conflict. Right, is how often are we going to have yeah. sex? And that's what we've been talking about so far, you know, whose needs are prioritized, et cetera, et cetera. And again, I've said this before, I will say it again. Frequency is not the problem. Frequency is a symptom of something else. Mm-hmm. When um, there's high marital satisfaction, when she feels emotionally close during sex, so she doesn't mm-hmm. feel like he's imagining porn or something, when uh, there is no porn use, when there's no sexual dysfunction, and when she frequently orgasms, frequency pretty much takes care of itself. Okay? So if there's an issue with frequency, instead of trying to get her to have more sex, it's better to focus on which one of those Mm -hmm. things is wrong. But what I really wanted to talk about is this. When we say frequency takes care of itself, what do we mean? Like, what frequency am I talking about? And so we looked at a bunch of different studies and at our own studies, both men and women. Other peer-reviewed studies have found this, and we also found this too. And it's this, when frequency is less than once a week, marital satisfaction is, is impacted quite a bit. When frequency goes up to once a week, marital satisfaction takes a huge jump. 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 Yeah. When it increases beyond once a week, it also takes a jump, but it's not as dramatic. Like mm-hmm. it's like that once a week is the magic number. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> sort of a law of diminishing returns. Yeah. Now yeah. this doesn't mean that we're saying if you have sex once a week that's fine you shouldn't have sex more i'm not saying that but what i am saying is that if you're having sex once a week or more then research shows that's quite healthy Mm -hmm. and even sometimes less than once a week can be healthy depending on you know work schedules and kids etc etc but generally once a week or more is healthy Okay, there's nothing wrong with your marriage. So if you're having sex at least once a week, then, and and it's not as often as you would want, realize that your spouse doesn't have a problem. This is just their preference. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And having a discussion about this is a preference of mine. I'd like to have that more is fine. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing in all these comments from people is that he has a right to this. Yeah. And here's in here. I want to actually read what we said because... This is, this is what we said in the Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, okay? Lack of contentment when the, with the frequency of sex when sex is objectively relatively frequent can create major problems in the long run. So when you treat a preference like it's a problem, mm-hmm. you create a problem. Yeah. And this is what we have found over and over and over again. We had three different stories in the book of, of women who told us this. And I'll, I'll give you one. And it came out of the comment section with a man that I interacted with um, at length. And he's been married for 40 years. And he said, you know, when they first got married, they would have sex, you know, two, three times a week. His wife always orgasmed. She enjoyed it. And he would say, like, I don't understand why we don't just do this all the time. Mm-hmm. And he would say that to her, like, I love doing this with you. Why don't we just do this all the time? And eventually sex got less and less frequent. And now they have sex every six weeks. And he feels like it's duty sex. And and I was trying to explain to him, well, maybe the issue was you were always giving her the idea that you're not happy. Like here she is. She had this great experience with you, but it's never enough. Like what, what whatever she does, it's never enough for you. And so now you're making her see sex in negative terms. Mm-hmm. 
you know, even though they were having sex two or three times a week, <laughs> but by, by saying that's not enough. And the way that he was saying it, he killed her sex drive. Mm-hmm. And over the 40 years, she just doesn't have sex anymore. Now, there might be other things going on, but we've heard story after story like this of women who say, you know, we started off with sex. We were having sex like, you know, twice a week, three times a week, whatever it might be. I was feeling good. And he was always pressuring me saying it needed to be more adventurous. We weren't doing it right. You know, we needed to try all these other things. And eventually I, I just didn't want it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so this is what we're trying to say. Look, it is fine to want to say hey you know what what can i do like what what can i do to help you want sex a little bit more because mm-hmm. i would love to have sex a little bit more like i love our sex life i love what we're doing but i you know what it'd be really great if we could have sex a little bit more what could i do that's a fine conversation to have there's nothing wrong with that but when you start saying why aren't we doing this more yeah what's wrong you're not serving me yeah then you're creating a problem out of what is just a preference difference mm-hmm. And when it's just a preference difference, Mm -hmm. then you need to let the other person have a preference. Mm -hmm. We don't need to have all of our wants and desires met in this life. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem is that the Christian church is teaching things like this guy recently talking about how like to to a man having sex is like you needing water. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's that's what we're taught. This is this is a fundamental need. As, des- as desperate as water. And it's like, I think that guys in the Christian church are then using sex as the way we feel everything, yeah. right? Instead of working on the relationship, instead of dealing with our baggage, instead of um, processing the hurt feelings we have, uh, you know, whatever, we turn to sex because sex will make us feel better. As opposed to becoming a mature person and seeing sex has a place in your marriage, but it's not the be all and end all. Um, it would be a lot healthier if we could yeah. do that instead. And you know what? It's like when you treat a preference and when you honor your spouse's preferences, mm-hmm. you give them a safe place to flourish. Yeah. And then it's quite likely that libido and sex is going to be seen as a good thing. And you know what? Mm-hmm. People like to do good things. <laughs> like people like to do things that make them feel good, that make their relationship stronger, that make them feel close, that make them feel giddy, that people like to do things that are fun. <laughs> and so if you create sex as the safe space in your marriage where yeah. you know, you're know you valuing each other yeah. and you're honoring each other and you're encouraging one another and you're just being loving about it, that is going to flourish. But if you make sex into a non-safe space in your marriage, where when people just simply try to live out their genuine preferences, they are berated for it, you know, or punished for it, or you just mope a lot, that's no longer a safe space. And she's going to want that to take up less and less room in her marriage. And I'm speaking, again, this whole conversation, I'm speaking like he's the higher drive and she's the lower drive. And we know that's not always the case, but this is just something that, uh, uh, something that we have seen a lot. Yeah. Well, we also don't get the, the, the angry pushback. Yes. From the high drive women that we get from the high drive men. No, and we don't get the angry pushback from the low drive men. Yeah. 
than we do from the higher drive men. So we, we just wanted to say that when you treat a preference like a problem, it becomes a problem. Now, if it really is a problem, mm-hmm. okay, so if sex really is quite infrequent, we have a lot in the book of questions that you can ask to try to figure out why mm-hmm. it's become infrequent and deal with some of those underlying issues. Because again, frequency is a symptom. It's not the problem in and of itself. So if you want to solve frequency, you need to solve the other issues. And so we have a lot of, of, of guidelines to help guys push that snowball back up the hill. <laughs> so that we can get it going down in yeah. the right direction. Okay, we're going to take a time out now. And I have an interview with Carl Thomas uh, from XXX Church about how to talk to kids about sex when you have not done things great in the past either. So when you've pushed that snowball down the wrong side of the hill. Mm. So here's Carl. Well, I am happy to welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast an online friend of mine, Carl Thomas. He is from Triple X Church, Live Free Ministries. He took over Triple X Church in March. And I have been on Carl's podcast. We kind of know each other online a bit. Um, I read an early version of his new book, When Shame Gets Real. And I was really impressed with just how real it was and how helpful it was. And so Carl, thank you for being here today. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's, it's an honor and I, and I appreciate it. Yeah. So one of the things that I liked, and I think I even said this in my review was I really liked the section where you were talking and in your book is mostly for guys who are coming out of a pornified mindset from a porn a habit, how to get over that and, and, and recognizing that the, that the root of it is actually a shame-based fear-based mentality rather than anything else. But at one point you talked about how to talk to your son. And that's what I think so many parents are just stumped by. Like if you've made mistakes, if you've done things that you're, you're not totally happy with, how do you then have those conversations with your kids? Yeah. Yeah. That's a difficult one. We get that. uh, We get that question a lot of times. And just to be clear. So I would say the majority of people picking up the book are probably guys coming from a background where they're, where they've dealt with masturbation issues or sex addiction issues or porn issues, whatever. But uh, the purpose of the book or the intended audience is honestly anyone, you know, it's, it's men, it's women, Mm -hmm. it's parents. uh, It's honestly the church because Mm -hmm. all of us are kind of guilty of the same thing. Not you and me necessarily, but I'm just, generally collectively speaking we're all guilty of it uh we don't like to talk about difficult topics we don't really embrace uncomfortable conversations so we just kind of gloss over it or ignore it or uh you know in the church mm-hmm. world we churchify it and so mm-hmm. that's uh that's the whole point because we just we got to get talking about this more and so yeah dealing with men especially because that's who i usually deal with we have a we have a part of the ministry that deals with spouses as well i don't run that because I'm not going to tell a woman how to run her life, That's <laughs> but, but the men I deal with, that is a common question is, uh, you know, obviously question one is how do I get my wife involved? How do I tell my wife? But then it's, gosh, what do I do with my kids? And unfortunately, what you tend to see is I don't feel comfortable talking about this, especially if I've dealt with this myself. So I just ignore it and hope it goes away. Right. Yeah. And then what happens is your kids end up making the same dang mistakes that you made because they're you're doing the same thing your parents did. No one's talking to you about what masturbation is. How does it play out in your life? Is it healthy? Is it not healthy? What's porn? How to avoid it? Um, yep. Admittedly, it's it's easier, I would say, 
to talk to your child probably about these things if you have no history there, but it's it's no excuse. You still need to talk to them. Because yeah, but we're living in a world where 80% plus of Christian guys do have a history of it. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think what, what prevents us is obviously the shame, uh, but even with people that maybe haven't dealt with this issue specifically, it's this fear that, hey, if I talk to them about this difficult issue, what the heck are they going to go do with it? Right. Mm -hmm. If I tell my 10 year old about porn, is he going to go search it out? And yes. the answer that, quite frankly, no one wants to hear is possibly. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't know if you're an office fan, but Dwight back in the office, I can see that. Right. It could happen, <laughs> but it's a possibility. It's not a guarantee. The flip side to the coin, I would say, is a guarantee, which is mm -hmm. if you don't talk to them about it, someone else will. And mm -hmm. when that person talks to that, to your child, very likely they're not going to give them the perspective that you're hoping they get. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then worse yet, when you come in 11th hour, right, which is usually a triple X church, especially where we get, that's when we get the questions. I just found out my kids looking at porn. What do I do now? Right. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunately at that point, I'm not going to say you don't tackle the topic, but you've already lost some credibility. Because mm -hmm. now you're coming to your kid at 16 and they're thinking in the back of their head, why the heck are you talking about talking about this now? Like, yeah. why didn't you talk about this before? Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of layers to this. And that's why it's so important that you delve into these things with your children when you're young, whether you have a history with this stuff or not. Yeah. You know, one of the things um, that we I, I'm, I'm writing a mother daughter book right now. And so this information isn't coming up for a year, but I'll just give everyone a sneak preview. But we asked girls if when they graduated from high school, so they're women now, but we said to the women, when you graduated from high school, did you know what these words meant? And we had a whole list of words, chlamydia, clitoris, scrotum, et cetera, right? And knowing fewer words was more correlated with negative outcomes. Like the wow. more words you knew, the better you tended to do. And so yeah. we think that we're helping kids by not giving them information, <laughs> but it's actually the opposite. Exactly. You know, yeah. I, wait, um, I think you, I mean, you, if you read the book, so, but, uh, and this is not sex related, but I think that applies to everything. I, I talk about a conversation I had with my son in the car where his teacher called my wife and uh, said, Hey, can you talk to Hunter? He, he, he said, Dick. Now this is when the kid was Hunter was, uh, gosh, maybe eight at that point. He's 13 now. Mm -hmm. uh, he might've been, yeah, eight or nine. He, so was, he was younger. And my wife calls me up. Hey, can you talk to Hunter? He said, Dick at school. I, he probably didn't. Yeah, sure. So, hey, hey, buddy, you want to go to the video game store? You know, jump in the car. He jumps in the car. We're riding there. Hey, listen, just point of curiosity. Your teacher called and said, you used the word Dick. And he said, yeah, you know, Moby Dick. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> And I said, all right, well, listen, just so you know, Dick is also a not a nice way to refer to a man's penis. And of course, then he starts giggling because I used the penis word. Um, <laughs> and then I thought it was over. Right. And he says, well, are there other words for body parts? Oh, my gosh. I said, yeah, yeah, a whole bunch. <laughs> and then we went through them. I mean, all of them, every single one. The one as a man, you never say to a woman unless you want your throat slit. Like we went through them all. 
-hmm. And uh, a couple of them, I, I prefaced with, and by the way, Hunter, if you ever say this around your mother or me, you might, and it might end your life. So just <laughs> letting you know, don't say this word, but, and you know, it was good to have that conversation. Of course, at nine, your worry is, is he going to go in school and start using all these new words that you just added to his vocabulary? Uh -huh. uh, but it didn't happen. And the good news is that, you know, now that he's 13, he hears all this stuff from kids at school, but he knows what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's rude, what's, like, he knows that stuff, right? And we don't talk about it in terms of bad and good. We talk about it more in terms of appropriate or hey that's not really nice like you don't want to call somebody that you know you're you're not doing the right thing you're you're mm -hmm. you know that's not what a, a follower of jesus would do right you don't you don't call somebody something like that so it's good because he's prepared right and he he's getting exposed to that type of language all the time right you know one of the big themes that i really liked in your book and i you can probably explain this better than me so i'll summarize and you can correct me if i'm wrong but our whole approach to behavior that we don't like in the church is to say, don't do it. Yeah. And it, cause it's a sin, but we don't equip people how to stop doing it other than telling them you can't do it. And then that leads to a whole ton of shame, which just drives everything underground. Yes. And that's what so many guys especially have gone through in trying to fight porn. But we don't want to do the same thing with our kids and telling kids, Hey, masturbation's a sin porn, watching porn is a sin. That's a lot easier. <laughs> that's a, that's a much easier conversation than saying, Hey, you know, you might feel like you want to do this and here's how to handle that. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's a much more awkward conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I think I said in the book, if not, I said it elsewhere, but you know, the thing is when you're dealing with it, uh, when I had a talk with my son about masturbation and wet dreams and all that stuff, at his age, you know, and we're not going to get theological with original sin and all that, right? But okay. <laughs> at his age, if he, if he goes to masturbation, it's not because of a willful disobedience, mm -hmm. you know, of God. It's, it's not, oh, I think I'm going to go sin right now, or I'm going to go do this bad thing. At his age, it's more, honestly, it's more curiosity. It's, yeah. hey, I have this thing between my legs. It feels kind of funny or cool when I touch it. I wonder what happens if I keep going, right? Right. And, um, and so you need to approach that conversation like, like I do with my son and just call it out and say, hey, listen, like we're going to talk about this. And, and honestly, I, this is probably some people when they read the book, it might blow their mind. They might, oh my gosh, I can't believe you told him that. But mm -hmm. when I talked to my son about masturbation, I mean, I owned it and I told, well, first of all, I led with the fact that I masturbated and how, how at his age, I figured it out on my own. And um, so, I, cause I wanted to show some transparency there and let him know that I wasn't better than him. Mm -hmm. But then I also just went on to say, Hey, look, I'm not going to lie to you if you do this, it feels ridiculous, right? <laughs> uh, but this is what you need to know, right? And then I went into the, basically the benefits or not benefits, there's only one benefit at that age is it feels great, but kind of the drawbacks, the consequences. Um, and, and, you know, at his age, it's obviously it's a little tough. You can't get into like true neuroscience, Yeah. but I explained how, 
orgasms and stuff like that, how it affects your brain and how it causes you to bond towards things. And so I broke it down in a way he would understand, but I still got to basically the neuroscience of it and just said, Hey, look, this is why mm-hmm. you pretty much don't want to do this at your age, because five years later, three years later, when you're having a bad day, instead of coming home and blowing off steam by shooting hoops and doing something that's good for you, that's good for your body, you're going to go upstairs in your room, lock the door, turn off the lights and masturbate and hope no one catches you. And that's clearly not the healthier option. Right. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, dad, you're right. That's not healthy at all. I said, of course mm-hmm. it's not. And that's yeah. the problem. Right. But because we had that conversation at the end of the day, I left it with him and said, Hey, listen, man, um, if you end up doing it, I mean, I can't, I can't stop you. If you end up doing it, my only request is that we talk about it later. Just tell me, you know, yeah, uh, there's no shame. I'm not going to come down on you. I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to call you a bad kid. I just want to talk about it because there are things that we need to kind of unpack mm-hmm. and, and process together. And he said, okay. And yeah, I mean, he might be lying to me. He might never talk to me, but I know my son pretty well because we've had multiple conversations like this with real honesty. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he will come to me. You know, because he just feels that, hey, dad's a safe place. I can talk to him. Yeah. You know, that's great. I think one of the other things that's so important to tell both boys and girls, really, especially when it comes to the porn conversation, because this is something I don't think a lot of parents understand, is that whole concept of arousal non concordance in that you can see something which you hate and which disturbs you and which you think is awful, but still feel physical arousal (laughs) and Mm -hmm. still feel like a real draw to it. And so like teaching kids that if you get aroused because you see like someone shows you porn and it's, you know, really disturbing, but you find it really like your body reacts to it. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. Yes. And that's, that's a hard conversation too, because they're all like, but what would I be seeing? (laughs) Yep. I agree. Yeah. And I've told him that I said, you know, back when we had, and we've had multiple talks, right. It's the old, it's not one talk. It's a series of talks. Right. But Mm -hmm. we've had that conversation where, Hey, listen, it's not, if it's when Hunter, someday you're going to see porn and there's going to be something that's going to register with you that there's something kind of pleasurable about it. Um, there's also these, all these other emotions you're probably going to experience. Mm-hmm. But again, just talk to me about it because if you come home and say, Hey, such and such show me porn today. Um, my, my first reaction is not going to be like, go to your room. Right. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Let's talk it out. What happened? How did you feel about it? Right. And he, and he knows, you know, so, uh, but yeah, you have to, you have to be honest about all these things. You can't, you can't hide the, uh, the good and only, talk about the bad because like you said that just builds up the shame levels when something does happen i can't possibly go tell my dad that i actually sort of like some of that he'll mm-hmm. think i'm a creep right mm-hmm. and i don't want him thinking like that yeah no i love that so much so tell me what what are you hoping to get out of the book with the book as a whole we've talked about you know what you say to your kids but the book isn't that that's a part of the book but the majority of the book is really yeah. for guys in general so what are you hoping that that men will get out of the book um, I mean, men or women, honestly, for me, uh, it, it kind of goes back. This is like a kind of a revelation, if you will. Uh, I've been working in this line of ministry, I guess you could say, yeah, in this area of ministry for over a decade now. And I work 
for Triple X Church for years, uh, probably seven years before I left there, started a new ministry, and then we ended up acquiring it. But done this work a lot. Triple uh, X Church, when we acquired it, this was just some of the processing I was doing when we were rebranding it. Okay, what's our focus now? Do we want to tweak some things? And I was thinking about it. I said, man, you know, Triple X Church has been around 20 years. Well, this is going to be our 20th year right now, actually. Um, 20 years. And they were probably the first, if not the only, I don't think they were the only, but they were one of the first and probably the loudest, you know, organizations out there mm -hmm. saying, hey, porn is an issue. Before Triple X Church, all these porn coaches and all these things you see popping up all over, none of them existed. Right. Or if they did, they were working off of some Tumblr website, right? I mean, there right. was just, we were the ones that were out there really calling it out. And the funny thing is, 20 years later, I'm looking around and I see so many organizations, so many coaches, so many this, so many that. And you would think that, well, things must be better, right? Because look at all the awareness now. Look at all the people. Well, look at all the, there's a plethora of resources. Granted, there's a lot of awful ones. You, I, one thing I appreciate about you is you have no, you have no problem calling out some of the really bad ones, <laughs> uh, like every man's battle. Anyway, but... <laughs> I love that about you, but um, yeah, I mean, but there's a plethora of good resources out there too. So you're okay. There's an awareness, there's resources. Why isn't it getting any better? Why are consumption rates just as high, if not higher than they were 20 years ago? Why is this still such a problem? And for me, just looking at it, the only thing that really hasn't changed in 20 years is the conversation. Um, you know, if the church, especially in a church, I mean, if the yeah. church needed to come 200 miles, right, it needed to advance 200 miles in this area, they've advanced 200 feet, right? Like they've advanced a little bit, but no, nowhere near what they needed to do. And so that's the one thing that hasn't changed. There are resources, there is awareness, there is a, there is a broader conversation going on, culturally speaking. But in terms of actually talking about these things as part of just real life. Hey, this is just life. I'm not going to say it's a good part of life, but it's life. Mm -hmm. That hasn't really changed. You know, uh, parents would feel really, most parents feel really awkward talking about sexual matters at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. um, husbands and wives have really hard time being, I mean, you deal with this all the time, being honest with each other about what works and what doesn't work. You know, they're too afraid to offend each other, even though one of them might be in pain yeah men still have a problem telling their their friends about what they're doing or their spouses and churches still to this day you know they'll, they'll mention it but when we get into the really really messy stuff those are conversations that can only happen in certain rooms or at certain times of the night with only certain people you can't you can't really talk about that in like mm -hmm. your your general small group right and uh, and i've been in the small groups where People will talk about their weight issues. They'll talk about their, that they're a health train wreck. I mean, sometimes they'll talk about their financial issues. They'll mm -hmm. talk about, I mean, they won't really talk about their real marriage issues, but they'll, mm -hmm. you know, they'll put like, well, we're having a rough patch, whatever that means. But you don't see them talking about the sexual issues, right? You just yeah. don't see that in a small group. It's like, ah, we can't talk about that. That's off limits. And my, my question is, why is it off limits? It's part of life. Yeah. Um, just like 
losing weight and eating right is part of life. Just like balancing your checkbook and living by a budget. It's part of life. Mm -hmm. And some people do really well at it. And a lot of people do really badly at it. And for the people that are not, you know, really living their best life in that area, they need help. And if they feel more open to talk about it, I think they'll get it. But if until we deshamify that whole thing, that we're going to continue to see problems in this area of sexuality, because again, the resources are there, the overall awareness level is there, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to come out and identif- self-identify as a person who deals with this because the shame levels are still where they were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Thank you so much for that. And I really, I, I really do. I found your book really refreshing. It was just, it was very real you read this and you think, yeah, like this is what everybody should be thinking. Like, why are we not thinking it, talking about it this way? So I really appreciate that. So I'll put a link in the podcast notes to um, your book. When does it actually launch? Is it out right now? Oh yeah. It came out two weeks ago. Two weeks. So. Okay. So perfect. So I yeah. will put this out uh, in when shame gets real by Carl Thomas. And thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate hey, this. Thank you very much. Always like talking to you and um, enjoy some of the collaboration we've done on other things. So yes, and uh, keep keep doing what you're doing. Although I'm sure you get criticized, but hey, <laughs> if if, uh, if there's no haters out there, you're probably doing something wrong, right? Amen. So amen. That's just that's just the truth. If you have haters, then you're like, okay, I'm probably on the right path here. But if everybody's giving you a thumbs up, you're not doing enough. So <laughs> amen. Thank you. <laughs> I really, I really did appreciate his book. I, mm-hmm. I like his honesty. I like his frankness. And I think we need more of that in the church. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. I did want to say one more thing based on what we were talking about earlier before that uh, interview um, about the entitlement mindset. And, and if you're in a relationship where as the husband, you do have the higher drive and you feel that sex isn't as frequent as you'd like and your response is, okay, well, how do I make this something that she does want to do more? I think you're on a good track. Mm-hmm. But if your response is, why isn't she... Or why doesn't she realize? Or why doesn't she? I want to challenge you as a guy to think maybe you haven't have swallowed up that entitlement mindset and maybe to try and think differently about this. And I think it will be better both for you and for your wife. I just want to challenge you to that. I think that we're taught a lot of things in the Christian church that make us who guys who would normally be very selfless not act in very selfless ways to our wives. And you can see this: these people who are railing against you, how you're destroying marriages. Because it all makes sense. You are destroying marriages. If your concept of marriage is a man getting what he wants from a wife who submits to him, if that's your mentality of what marriage is, then yeah, you're destroying that kind of marriage. Uh, We're trying to build a marriage where both partners matter, where both people are striving to follow God and to demonstrate Christ-like qualities in their marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to end with some encouragement. So here's a review that came in for The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. Our launch team is super fun and you can join it when you pre-order The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex or The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and send us in your receipt. You're going to get our Evangelical Sex Report Card, which is really fun to look through, (laughs) see how we're doing, and an invite to the launch team um, where you can get access to the books right away and join our exclusive Facebook group. We're filming another Facebook Live today. Super fun. So um, the links for that are in the podcast notes. Uh, But here is a new review that came in from Good Guys Guide to Great Sex. Guys, if you're wondering why your wife has a meh attitude towards (laughs) sex, you need to read this book. The Good Guys Guide to Great Sex starts by redefining sex as something that can be mutually shared by both partners in ways that go beyond physical activity. Rethink and reset your mentality and approach to sex. Be a hero for your wife as you learn about roadblocks to women's sexuality, how to remove them, and how to give her pleasure too. 
Enjoy the journey of discovering each other all over again. Learn how to connect emotionally and spiritually for an amazing sex life born out of mutual admiration and desire. This book was based on experience, testimony, and data. The technical and medical aspects of the book were concise and informative. It has an excellent balance between advice and admonishment, education, and encouragement. For too long, marriage books have addressed symptoms and offered band-aid solutions, mostly encouraging people to have more sex with the idea that sex alone will solve everything. This book addresses the causes that hinder us from having great sex to bring about true healing and a mentality that supports a healthy and vibrant sex life. Don't settle for just sex for the sake of sex. Learn how to make sex a meaningful and wonderful part of your life. This book would be great for young adults approaching being sexually active as well as those who've been married for years and anyone in between. It's for anyone that desires to have a healthy view of sex. That's great. Yeah. So we really are having fun on our launch team. We hope you will join us there. And next week, we have a special year edition. It'll be one year since The Great Sex Rescue was out. Mm. And so we'll be talking about that, too. That's going to be a great podcast. So don't miss it. Uh, So until then, see you later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.